Indeed, it's always a pleasure to be able to uh, speak, to bring the Word of God on a Sunday, whether I'm here at GRX or any other church. Uh, someone asked me, does it get easier? And I said, no. Every time I speak, even if it's been 20 years, uh, I, I take it as something very serious because I know that I will be held responsible. Those of us who teach and preach are responsible and will be held accountable. And so my, my prayer, my goal is always to make sure that uh, I get out of the way so that uh, I would not be a distraction or a hindrance or a stumbling block that you would hear from the Lord through his word. Let's pray. Indeed, God, it is a privilege and an honor to be able to be in your word with your people. You have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And you do know our names. What an awesome privilege we have before us now as we continue to worship you and this time we worship in your word. We pray now that the words of this preacher's mouth and the meditations of this preacher's heart would be acceptable before you, O God. Bless this time. Guide us, lead us, instruct us, exhort us. That Jesus Christ alone will be glorified. And it is in that name that we pray and preach and sing and worship. And everybody said amen. And everybody said amen. Come on, don't mess with me now. Don't bother me now. We have been in this study of the book of Romans. And I've said to you that the book of Romans is that book which is probably the book that captures the entire gospel message. If you had only one book of the Bible, I've said this before, I'll say it again. If you had only one book of the Bible at your disposal, it would be the book of Romans that you would want because it captures everything. And so what we've been doing is we've been trying to navigate our way through. And at some point in this doctrinal treatise, in this doctrinal book, it gets a little sticky at times because we use words that sometimes we're, we're not familiar with. We talk about justification, sanctification, glorification. We talk about all those words and it's very easy for that stuff to kind of go right over our heads. Or for us to tune out on those words because we're not sure what it actually means. I want to I kind of bring it back, pull it back a little bit. And I want to try to zero in on this part, specifically chapter 8 in the book of Romans, because chapter 8, in my opinion, is the key book for Romans because it is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, one of the things that's out there that's so confusing to people is oftentimes people will look and say, well, the Holy Spirit means that it's an action. Somebody is doing something. Somebody is mumbling or grumbling or doing cartwheels or flips or or making some sort of weird uh, 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 movements of the body or something. That person is anointed. And I would say to you 
that most of the individuals that are out there that are claiming some sort of anointing of the Holy Spirit, I know this is judgmental, but I'm going to say it anyway, most of them have missed the boat because it has nothing to do with the action so much outside. It is an inside thing. The Holy Spirit is working within us, shaping and molding and, 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 and shaping us into that which we need to be, and that is in the likeness of Jesus Christ, his God's Son. And so when we, we speak about the Holy Spirit, oftentimes it's new to us because we kind of think that, Oh, well, that, that's it. We don't have to deal with the Holy Spirit. It's always Jesus. It's Jesus. Yes, it is Jesus. But it's also the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has that task to bring us through this critical peace after we have been justified. After we have been put right with God, we said justification is just a fancy way of saying you've been put right with God. After you and I have been put right with God, there is this next step now that is a step of surrendering in obedience to the movement of God's spirit in us and shaping and and shaping us in such a way that we become more and more and more and more like Christ. And that process, we have a fancy word called sanctification. And so this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about what that looks like and how that feels and how that morphs in terms of our, our walk with God. The text I'm going to use is very straightforward. It's uh, Romans chapter 8 verses 12 through 17, but then uh, I want to read verse 1 in that same chapter. Now, therefore, now, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God for and daughters, not just sons. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons or daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Hallelujah. The point I'm going to be making, and I'm going to say it once, and I'll say it probably a few more times before the end of the message, is very simple. The life of the redeemed man or woman, what what do I mean when I say redeemed? That person that has been bought by the blood of Christ, that person that says yes, yes to Jesus Christ, that person who is accepted by faith that God has moved and 
met us in that place and, and, and brought us back from death, brought us into life. That is a redeemed person by the blood of Christ. So the life of the redeemed man or woman is a life that has been permanently placed into God's family and empowered by the Holy Spirit to reflect God's glory. Let me say it again. The life of the redeemed man or woman is a life that has been permanently placed into God's family and empowered by the Holy Spirit to reflect God's glory. The good news, and I said to you once before a few weeks ago when we were preaching, when we first get into this thing talking about God and and how God deals with us, it's first bad news. Initially, it's bad news. Because as we read, at least from the Apostle Paul's accounting, we stand condemned. All of humanity is condemned before God. The good news is that God acquits the guilty and justifies the ungodly. Justification is of God, not man. We receive all the benefits as children of God who deserve nothing less than condemnation. God has redeemed us. God has taken us from a place of the, where we were doomed or destined for destruction. We, the people who are now God's redeemed people, prior to coming to Christ, prior to coming into the family of God, we be our people that are doomed for the trash heap. What are you talking about, Pastor? Gehenna, it, it, it talks about in the, in the Israeli, in the, in the Jewish community, this trash pile, this garbage pile that c- continues to burn and burn, burn and burn and burn. And so we are, we're destined for that place of eternal hell, eternal burning forever. We don't like to talk about this because we sound, it, it, it sounds a little archaic in the 21st century, but hell is real. It is biblical. We were destined for hell. We were destined to be lost eternally. But God, in his infinite wisdom, saved us. He rescued us. And those that have said yes to Christ now have a guarantee of eternal life. Why? Because they have been justified in Christ. They have been put right with God. And so we receive all the benefits as those who are now in Christ Jesus. Now, the justification part starts us, but it doesn't end there. Please hear this. Justification is the beginning piece. The other part of this, now, after I have been put right with God, I need to now walk in that place where God has called me. That is, I'm going to have this mindset of what? Of being in Christ. Pastor Scott talked in his last message about having our minds set. The problem a lot of times with a lot of folk in the 21st century in the church today is we haven't gotten to that part of having our minds set in Christ. And so we think that just because we said yes to God some kind of way early on in our life or whenever it occurred, that we've got our fire insurance and we're no longer headed for Gehenna. 
But the reality is part of this working out of our salvation means that I'm going to allow God through his Holy Spirit to begin to shape and mold me. That is called sanctification. I have been set apart, separated from all that would hinder and get in the way. And God begins to take the pieces away from me, take the parts of me that are not right. It is an ongoing life of faith. Chapter 8 of Romans is on the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And I would say that the primary objective of the Holy Spirit is to do exactly what the Holy Spirit does. Make us holy. That's his job. To live by faith in Jesus Christ is to live by the same spirit of God. We cannot say that we have faith in God and then totally ignore the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul says in verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. In John 1, 12, but all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. It's a mindset. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. That's condemnation. That's the old person. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah says, it only is mentioned one other time, I believe, in the book of uh, Revelation. Where John says, holy, 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 angels, holy, holy, holy. Why? I believe it's Trinitarian. I believe holy is the Father, holy is the Son, holy is the Spirit. And there's some kind of way God is communicating that what he's trying to do, he's trying to take us who have been marred, who have been spoiled, who have been stained by sin and bring us to a place, being man back to a place of wholeness. The goal of redemption is to make people holy. We are made in the image of God for the purpose of reflecting God's glory. The problem is that that image has been spoiled or marred or tainted. And it's impaired. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Ali? Because the word of God says it. Paul makes the statement in 323 early on when he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified and are justified by his grace as a gift. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The real issue, my brothers and sisters, the real issue with us in this world, humanity, is the fact that we have failed to glorify God. And so what God has done, he's come out with a way that he is going to be glorified by remaking us. We had to be recreated and that recreation had to have a model and that model was Jesus Christ. There had to be someone that was fully God, fully man, perfect. That would be the model. 
The purpose of salvation is to recover humanity from its spoiled image and from its inability to give God the glory. God is recreating humanity. He's trying to bring us to a place where as regenerated, redeemed people, we look like his family. What do you mean we look like his family? We look like God's family. Christ-likeness. The work of the Holy Spirit is to transform sanctified believers into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's, if you want to sum it all up, it's not this uh, huge theological problem to deal with. It, it's an issue of simply saying, holy God wants a holy people. And you have holy God and holy people, you've got a family. But it's a choice that we make. And it's a choice that means that you and I have to constantly, daily die to ourselves. We have to constantly mortify the flesh, kill the flesh. Well, I thought we were justified already. Yes. The penalty of sin was dealt with at the cross. You're absolutely right. The power of sin was dealt with. At the cross. You're absolutely right. But the presence of sin is still very real for us because we're still here. We're otherworldly, but we're in this world. And in this world, we will have trials and troubles and struggles and difficulties because God is still shaping and molding us to be more like Jesus. Now, for some of us, it's an easy peasy walk. But some of us are in resistance. We're kicking and screaming. I don't want it. I don't want to be shaped right now. I want to be shaped like Jesus when I want to be shaped like Jesus. I'm not ready to be shaped like Jesus. Now, you're not saying that. At least I haven't heard you say that. But it's reflected in your behavior and actions sometimes because we fail to realize that we have been bought with the price that God has covered us. And he's paid a very dear price. His very own son's blood was shed for us. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, sanctifies us, and eventually will glorify us. So the Holy Spirit, what I'm getting at here on this, this is kind of an introduction, is, is, is to let you know that the Holy Spirit has a very significant role across the board. In the Old Testament, godliness was the, what God was looking for. You won't find sanctification necessarily. Because in the Old Testament, God was looking for obedience. He was looking for people to be godly. Holy, holy, holy. You find be holy because I'm holy constantly in the book of Leviticus. There's there's starting, I think, around chapters 8, 9, 10 going forward. Be holy because I'm holy. Be holy because I'm holy. Be holy because I'm holy. Why? Because he's a holy God. And in the Old Testament, he was looking for this sense of creating a holy people and they needed to respond in obedience Obedience is the means of sanctification, you could say. Leviticus 21.8, you shall sanctify him, for he offers the blood of your God. He shall be holy for you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. Leviticus 20 and verse 8, keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. 
God had a different way of working it in the Old Testament. God was seeking to produce a family resemblance of people that were like God. It was a covenant thing. And so in the Old Testament, there's this constant conversation about the covenant. God who is a covenant keeping God. When we fast forward to the New Testament, it takes on a different feel. Because now it's not so much of being a godly, it's godliness, it's Christ-likeness. And so sanctification is working because it's in this sense that, that God has given us an example in his son, Jesus Christ. And now as you and I begin to walk in sanctification, we're looking to be more and more like Christ. As we go through life, as we encounter all kinds of things in life, we're looking to be more like Christ. That's our goal. That's God's purpose. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to transform sons and daughters into family members who bear a resemblance to their father and our brother, Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing. He's not just creating a list of do's and don'ts and don't do this, don't do this. If you do this, you're going to get, you're going to get penalized. If you do this, no, it's not about a do's and don'ts list. It's about our willingness to surrender our hearts and submit our wills to his will and say, yes, Lord. That's what it's really about. God is just looking for people that are willing to say, yes, Lord. He's looking for people that are willing to put their own wills aside and mortify their own flesh and say, yes, Lord. The life of the redeemed man or woman is a life that has been permanently placed into God's family and empowered by the Holy Spirit to reflect God's glory. We can reflect God's glory once we realize our true identity in Christ, that God has called us out of darkness. He's brought us into his light and now he has empowered us, assured us adopted us. He's placed us in this in this unique place where we cannot lose. You know, one of the things that bugs me about my own walk sometimes. Can I tell you this and you just keep it between us? Thing that bugs me sometimes is, you know, this stuff. You know, this stuff. But acting on the stuff that you know becomes a bit of a challenge at times for us. You know what you need to do. You know it's about obedience. You know it's about faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know it. Why is it that it becomes a challenge for us? Because sometimes we just hunker down and say, uh, or we procrastinate. Uh, I'll get around to it. I know, Lord, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. And God is saying, no, you won't. It's not about getting around to it. It's about saying yes to Jesus Christ, surrendering your will and allowing the spirit of God to move and direct your life. A lot of times we're leading defeated lives. I look at my life and I look back over my life, some of the most defeated times of my journey with Christ. And a lot of it, I look back now and I'm going, what a waste of time. Now, you could argue and say, well, you know, did you learn something from that? Yes, I did. So in that sense, it was not a waste because I learned from the experience and I was able to, okay, got it now. 
But there are times when we just go and we just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. We keep getting the same results over and over again. And we keep wondering, why? Why me, God? Why me? And God is saying, that's an easy one. You're not being obedient. You're not trusting me. You're not spending time in the word. You're not spending time in prayer. But I'm busy, Lord. I got a lot of things going on. I got this, I got this, I got this. Yeah, that's the problem. That's exactly the problem. You're too busy for the Holy Spirit. You need to be busy with allowing the Spirit of God to move in your life so that you can be sanctified in me. So the benefits of the redeemed life. To be redeemed is to be adopted. To be redeemed is to be empowered. To be redeemed is to be assured. And all of this through the working of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.4 By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Watch this now. So that through them you may become partakers. This is heavy. When I found this out, I just, I was going, wow. Wow. You may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature? You and I are partakers of the divine nature? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. But it means that you have to be willing to submit or surrender your own will and allow God to begin to shape and mold and recreate We need a different kind of spiritual recreation. We need a new spiritual DNA or or, or we need something different to happen in us. How does the Holy Spirit pull this off in the life of the redeemed? Verse 14. (coughs) Excuse me. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He is directing our lives. He is pulling us off by leading us. We're led by the Spirit. Well, how do you know, Pastor Ali? Because that's the work of the Spirit of God. If you go to John 16, 13, he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus speaking when he was getting ready to leave. He's telling the disciples what the program is about. Here's the plan. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Who is the he? The Holy Spirit will guide you in all truth. Do we need to know truth? Yes. For he, Holy Spirit, will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. John sixteen thirteen, John fourteen fifteen, And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Why do we need a helper? Because Jesus Christ left and he says, I'm not leaving you alone now. You are going to have help in your journey until you get to that place where you are in your glorified body. But in this process right now that we call sanctification, you will need a helper. Need a helper? Yes. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because the world is marred, is damaged, is stained, is broken. And those who are redeemed understand what God has done 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has put us back together again. Because he neither, it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then he later on says, I will not leave you as orphans. It's interesting that the language is this language of family. God adopts us. He brings us in to his family. And the goal that he has in mind is creating, creating individuals, individuals that look like his son, Jesus Christ. Why would he do that? Because individuals that look like his Jesus Christ will reflect God's glory to the world. Why does that need to happen? Because when the world sees Jesus Christ reflected in his disciples and different individuals, they will be drawn not to the individual, but drawn to the Christ in them. The biggest testimony, the greatest testimony is the testimony of Jesus Christ glorified in a man or woman who is just walking in the surrendered, sanctified life. That's what it's really about. And then he pulls us off by giving us intimate access to the Father. Verse 15, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Before we came to God, before we were redeemed people, we were people that lived in fear, not faith. God has given us the remedy for fear. It's called faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't know who's going to get elected November 8th. Oh, we're going to be doomed. Oh, 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 suppose it's Hillary. Suppose it's Trump. Oh, oh, I don't know who it's going to be. You're a child of the king. Our God is sovereign. So it doesn't matter who's in office. Our God is sovereign. He rules. Well, who are you going to vote for, Pastor Ali? I'm not going to tell you because I don't know. But I tell you one thing I've been doing. I've been praying for both of them. And I've been praying specifically. I'm going to tell you something. I've been praying specifically. God, take the heart of whomever, whoever you choose, you decide, and, and shape and mold that heart after your will and surround that individual with people who are sanctified, people who are surrendered to Christ Jesus. That's it. And then by assuring us of our permanent family connection, verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and heirs with Christ. Now, I got to back up a little bit and say something about this adoption thing, because it's one of those things that will kind of confuse people. In the Western world, we think of adoption as, as it's, it's something it's about us. It's about us making a choice. And so one thing for sure, when you when you when you when you uh, let me go this way out with it. So when you have children. For the most part, most of us, unless you're doing something really creative, like creating your own test tube type baby or 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 cocktail type, whatever. Most of us get what we get. As a pregnancy, nine months later, or a little less sometimes, 
the baby is born, you get what you get. Right? That's, that's the way it is. You get what you get. When you talk about adoption, it's a different twist on it. Because when you go to adopt, you are specifically getting what you get in a human adoption, but, but you kind of pick and choose, really. There's celebrities that do adoption, and I, 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 was, I was amazed at some of the adoptions that are out there with some of the celebrities. It's like, wow, really? That's interesting. My prayer is that if you're adopting a kid or a child, that you would make sure that you give them all that they need, that they would grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's the key piece. But let me back up to how the Romans understood adoption. In the Roman times, the adoptee lost all rights in the former family and gains all the rights of the new family. So in the Roman way of doing adoption, the adoptee, usually a son, it didn't all, wasn't always, but generally it was a son because that's where those rights and all that stuff during that time. The, the, you were you completely, your past was completely wiped out. You were completely just in this new place where you're, you're, you're brought into this new family. The adoptee now is the heir to the new father's estate, even if there are new natural sons born. So in other words, the, adopt, the, adopted, the adopted child had greater rights in, than the natural born child. The adoptee's old life and obligations were completely wiped out. The adoptee assumes the role of a permanent new son. To be an adopted son was to be in a privileged place. The life of the redeemed man or woman is a life that has been permanently placed in God's family and empowered by the Holy Spirit to reflect God's glory. We have been brought into God's family, and it's no small thing, so that we can reflect God's glory. Why? Because that's what God is looking for. He is looking for sons and daughters that are adopted, that are now regenerated. Why? Because we are people that God has specifically chosen. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. By regeneration, we acquire this new nature of the new family, a new spiritual genetics, so to speak. We are now partakers of the divine nature. Second Peter 1.4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very precious promises to become partakers of the divine nature. He's leading us as sons and daughters He's guiding us. This is a spirit working in our lives. And the spirit will only work in our lives as we are willing to allow God to have his way. And let me say this. There's a great passage in 2 Corinthians. If you haven't picked up any scripture other than pick up, write this one down. 2 Corinthians 3.18 
And we with all veiled and unveiled face. There's nothing blocking us. Paul is writing. Beholding the glory of the Lord. Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. What is Paul saying? He's saying that in this walk of sanctification, in this walk of of being molded and shaped to be more like Christ. It is a walk that's in degrees as we become more and more and more and more like him, beholding his glory, we are being transformed by that image of God. The closer I get to Christ, the closer you get to Christ, the more transformation is taking place in our lives. But it's taking place in degrees until such a time comes when we leave this world and we stand before Almighty God and we're able to say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And we are in that glorified body. We are perfect. Why? Because now we will see him as he is. No interference, nothing blocking. We will see him as he is. Do we become God? No, we're not becoming gods. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about human beings being covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, being able to stand before a holy God. Not because we've earned anything with God. Not because we had the right pedigree. We had the right degrees. We had the right stock. We had the right home size. We had the right cars, the right job, the right position. It had nothing to do with that. It had simply to do with the fact that we were adopted into God's family. And it was a permanent adoption. We don't get to go back. And that in itself is a Hallelujah. Because that means now that that I I have to simply my prayer life now is simply God help me to be more and more like you each day that you give me. Whatever it is that needs to be taken off of me, the the, the molded or the bumpy rough spots, file those spots down so I can be smooth and more like you. In my relationships, in my interactions, I want to be more like Christ. How I handle my money, I want to be more like Christ. How I worship, I want to be more like Christ. But the only way that's going to happen is I allow God's word to move into my body, my inner being, and allow the sanctification process day by day to take place. That's just simply going to God and say, God, I I, I surrender. I surrender to you. Every day, God, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. Some of us can't get there, I know. Because surrendering is like giving up. You're not giving up. You're giving in to the Holy Spirit, who is your teacher, your instructor, the one who knows you, the one who loves you, the one who cares for you the one who has adopted you. He is the spirit of adoption. God bless. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you that you have not wasted anything. You have not discarded anyone 
You've all, you've given us all an opportunity, even those that are not in the faith, to say yes. I thank you, God, that your grace is constantly trying to woo us. You've come after us, and you've given us the opportunity to say yes, so that we can surrender to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.